If your convenience or grocery store is running a grab-and-go program, and you just know there must be a faster, smarter way to label, prep, and ensure your food is fresh and safe, it's time to discover BOHA. BOHA is your single platform that digitizes manual error-prone tasks like labeling, prepping, temping, and equipment monitoring. If you need grab-and-go labels in an instant, BOHA. If you want to make sure your team is always alerted to clean the counters or refresh the condiments, BOHA. Or if you want to guarantee temps get logged every time, you guessed it, BOHA. To see how BOHA makes successful grab-and-go programs possible, connect with us at bohatechnology.com. That's B-O-H-A technology.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of At Your Convenience. I'm Steve Holtz. The future of fuels is far from certain, and each company contemplating which lane to choose, that is, which new fuel or fuels to focus on to best serve their customers, will have its own answer based on demographics and geography. A convenience store chain will likely have a different choice than a travel center. A C-store in an urban area will have different needs than one in a rural area. A retailer on the interstate will serve the needs of different kinds of travelers than one off a major highway. Casey's General Stores is a prime example of a retailer evaluating these diverse needs. In this episode of At Your Convenience, CSP editor Greg Lindenberg speaks with Nathaniel Doddridge, Vice President of Ewells for Ankeny, Iowa-based Casey's, about the Midwestern chain's strategy for navigating which new fuels it is betting on and why. Let's listen in. But, but uh, if you just want to start with sort of a breakdown of the various alternative fuels that, that Casey's is offering or planning to offer and, and where. Yeah, you bet. So, you know, we, we have been really expanding our alternative fuels ever since I got here back in, in 2017. And so, you know, the, really the first big move for us was just continuing to build out our higher blends of ethanol. You know, obviously we're in you know, the Midwest, um, we're in, you know, corn and soybean states. And so obviously those are big, you know, important products to our states we operate in. And so from an availability perspective, it's one of the, some of the first states that became available, right? So, you know, right now we're from an ethanol perspective, we're up to, you know, almost a little over 400 locations to sell higher blends of ethanol. So that's a, mm-hmm. that's primarily, you know, E15 or unleaded 88 as we, as we call it, the industry's going to switch to that, you know, from a biodiesel perspective, that's another product that, you know, we're in very tax advantage states, you know, very product friendly states. And so we're just over a thousand locations that that sell biodiesel. You know, the, some of those obviously those blends will evolve over the course of the year. And so just depending on winter properties and things like that, how cold it is, obviously biodiesel reacts a little bit different when it gets really, really cold in the Midwest. And so we have to be thoughtful about that. But mm-hmm. You know, on a fairly consistent basis, we have just over 400 stores selling higher blends of ethanol and uh, just over a thousand stores um, that sell biodiesel in one form or fashion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we do, um, you know, uh, I guess one of the other one of the other fuels or energy sources we do, um, I think, as you're aware, we sell we have um, uh, EV chargers. So we have EV chargers at uh, right about 29 locations today. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's been a little bit of a, a slow growth for us, but um, running some pilots in a few states that just um, help us better understand uh, that. But we, we don't participate as of yet in the CNG, LNG, propane, hydrogen space. 
Um, I know there's some folks that we overlap with in, in the sea store space in the Midwest that do some of those uh, alternative fuels, but uh, currently we don't have um, any of those uh, any of those products. And at this point, we don't necessarily have it in our strategy to add any of those products today. Can, can you sort of go into the pros and cons of each of the fuels that you haven't really mentioned yet? Yeah, so when you when you think about you know the fuels we sell, so the pros for the legacy fuels, it's it's what customers know, right? So when you think about legacy, I think about things like your normal, regular, your premium, your your regular diesel. So that all that the the pros are obviously outweighing the cons on that one, and so uh, that's what the customer knows, right? That's what they're familiar with. That's what they see consistently. But as you move into the alternative fuel space, you know, from a pros perspective for higher blends of ethanol and biodiesel. The one thing we want to make sure we do, right, is two things, is we want to put a product in the store that customers want and customers are asking for, but we also want to make sure that they're also cost effective and cost, you know, favorable for us. And so I would say for us, one of the biggest pros for higher blends of ethanol and biodiesel is they're uh, the supply economics are favorable. Um, you know, there's some favorable tax um, incentives in the states we operate that helps us justify putting some of those products. And I will tell you, as those products have been in the market longer, customers have gotten more comfortable with those products. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are we are seeing adoption for those grow as as customers see it more readily available. We are we're fortunate enough again to operate in markets where we overlap some really strong competitors that are really forward thinking that are really trying to um, look at how do they evolve their product slate and so therefore as they offer it and we offer it customers you know based on their buying patterns and, and where they find their you know, favorite location to shop is they might be able to see that at multiple locations in the market not just at casey's and so that in and of itself although you know competition can be challenging that actually helps a little bit as we think about adoption of some of those higher blends sure. you know kind of on that same front from a con perspective is it is still really new for a lot of folks, you know, as, as the as the naming and as the product available has shifted and changed around for, you know, things like E15, the customer still is trying to figure out, you know, is that a good fit? Can they put that in their car? And so I think that's going to be an ongoing challenge for us is to get the customer adoption higher and higher. You know, we're seeing some of the states we operate in, you know, layer in mandates, you know, and introduce access standards, which is you know, which is just an availability standard for higher blends. And so at some point, customers, whether they are ready or not, it's just going to be the products that's sold. So how do you balance that with a customer? I think that's going to be really, really important. Uh, but that can be a little bit of con because you think about fueling your car. It's it's a little bit of an intimidating experience. You know, mm-hmm. Customers are a little bit nervous on what, what should I put in? Why should I put that in my car? And if they're unsure, they're, they're not going to pick up that new nozzle, that new product. And so... I would say that's the biggest, probably the biggest con of the products. It's just customer adoption, and those things can be a little bit confusing. Sure. On the biodiesel side, I'll say one of the, the challenges with biodiesel is just, as I mentioned earlier, how do you navigate winter? How do you navigate some of the winter properties that you have to be really, really careful about, um, given uh, biodiesel can can slow flow um, if it gets too cold? And so really focus on additives, really focus on availability to make sure we have the right stores at the right time and to make sure it, it can uh, it can the customer can trust that what they're putting in their car is what um, is what's going to be uh, good for them and it's going to operate the way it should. And certainly, the weather aspect is big for you, given your geographies. You know, it really is, and I, I will tell you though, 
although um, you know mandates can be challenging, you know we've been forced to figure this thing out. You know Minnesota has a a biodiesel mandate. It's you know, it's one of our most northernmost states, and so you know if that state can operate and figure out how to navigate winter. Um, with biodiesel, I think that gives us some hope that we can figure this thing out. But the supply chain is complicated. Suppliers are unique across all of the markets. Suppliers for biodiesel are unique. So you have to be really, really careful about quality and making sure that you have the best quality. You have to do some preventative maintenance on, on your stores to make sure that at the end of the day, you don't have water. You don't have those things that that um, could create additional challenges for us. You just got really, really, really focus on fuel quality to make sure uh, that you can navigate those those tough winter months appropriately, not create issues for your store operators as well as your customers. And going back to adoption specifically for uh, the EV side of the equation, can you talk about that a little bit? What, what... Yeah, absolutely. I, I will tell you, um, EVs tend to suck all the oxygen out of the room. They're, there's not a day I don't think goes by where you don't see some new headline about the pace of growth. As you think about, you know, our competitors, you know, competitors in this space is where a lot of the evolution is. You think back to liquid fuels, your competition is a C store. Your competition for electric vehicles can be anything from a apartment complex. It can be your home. It can be a grocery store. And so availability to help drive adoption will be interesting as we think about that competitive set. But now that we have 29 locations in a unique set of markets, I think we're we're finally able to glean a little bit on where it makes sense. You know, obviously the the government is is all hands on deck to try to grow electric vehicles. We're seeing the, you know, the OEMs, the, you know, the Fords, the Teslas, all your, your big players in this space continue to change their fleet of vehicles to move more in this space. And so all of those headlines, like I said, that that's all you hear about. Um, the challenge is when you have to be careful. If you look at percent growth, obviously percentages are growing, you know, a hockey stick type growth if they're just shooting through the roof. But you have to be careful because you got to look within what's the absolute growth number. And so um, when you look at the absolute growth number of EVs in the markets, when you look at you know the number of um, EVs that are actually coming and being manufactured and that are available, I think that helps you level set on what actually how fast you should move. But mm-hmm. if you look at, at the Midwest, you know, similar to biodiesel, electric vehicles tend to act a little bit different in the winter. So, you know, there's some efficiency loss with batteries. And so range anxiety is real, but really range anxiety in the in the winter accelerates. And so you have to be careful as you think about those customers that are that are um, entering the space, buying electric vehicles, looking for their next charge. Um, It really does change that driving behavior. And we want to continue to find ways to meet those charging needs. Um, We just have to be careful about how fast we go. And, and where you put those, because obviously with our stores being primarily rural, mm-hmm. um, those markets aren't the first to move into the electric vehicle space. And so, you know, finding that finding that proper balance of where you should go and where the customers are to make sure that you don't get too far over your skis and put something out there that just becomes just an, just an empty parking spot for uh, customers as you wait for that adoption to increase. Right. 
Yeah, again, I was going to point out again with your geographies, with your the rural aspect of of Casey's, that raises questions about adoption, but also range anxiety. It's it's a real thing, right? You you think about your normal, you know, you go and fill up your liquid fuel vehicle, and you're getting you know three hundred, three fifty, four hundred you know miles on a tank. Well, that that charging experience as it is today, um, based on battery size and just the technology, is you hope that you can get you know two hundred to three hundred miles on a charge. Obviously, that's going to switch around if you're driving a truck and and that truck is loaded down. That well, it puts a drag on your battery. Winter puts a drag, and so still it changes a lot of behaviors on how you make that you know, fueling experience, whether that's with liquid fuels or EV, that EV experience looks a little bit different on how you navigate through that because just a legitimate range anxiety that's there because it's just the lack of infrastructure out in the market today. Right. And so um, in terms of C-stores in general, not just Casey's, but how well do you think the industry is positioned today to offer uh, these alternative fuels you know what do retailers need to do to get prepared to to you know participate in this this new world yeah so as i think about liquid fuels and maybe the alternative fuel space in regards to ethanol and biodiesel i think the big thing on that space is knowing what you have in the ground obviously when you go to make some of these decisions on adding e15 e85 you know biodiesel you know, 11% biodiesel, 20% biodiesel, what ha- or what you know, whatever that percentage is. You know, there's some there's some equipment decisions that you have to make. Yeah. Um, so, do you have the right dispensers? Do you have the right tank and piping? And so, record keeping is really really important. You, we've been challenged as I think about you know our growth over the years. And we have a lot of locations that we've acquired. And unfortunately, those don't always come with the best information about what you have. And so we spend a lot of time just making sure if we're going to do it and we want to do it right, we don't want to we want to limit our our, our our exposure to, you know, putting the wrong product in the wrong tanks. And so knowing what you have in the ground, I think, is going to be really, really important. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of I think there's a lot there's a lot of industry experts out there, I think, to lean into. Um you know, I think there's just a lot of folks in this space, whether it's Sigma, whether it's Nax, folks like those that have just re- great insights on what are some learnings from from the industry, right? And so I think understanding and asking a lot of questions, um, what's relevant, what's not, I think is going to be really, really important. But you can't make decisions unless you know what you have and being a, understanding what that that issue is. The last thing you want to do is put something in a tank that's not compatible. You know, you suddenly turn a an opportunity to make some additional margin or increase your customer traffic, and you suddenly turn it into um, a challenge with your city in regards to capacity issues. So you just got to really, really, really know what you got in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it compatible? And then from a, above the ground, you know, are your dispensers, are your hoses, are your nozzles? All of those things change. On the EV space, I will tell you that the industry is positioned extremely well from a location perspective. Our industry was built on picking great corners, great traffic patterns. And so that on that front, we're positioned really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge we face in the EV space is, does it make sense? Do you have do you have the capital funding? Do you have access to capital through federal grants, things like that that can help offset those costs? Because mm. when you look at a 
you know, two to four charger installation, you're looking upwards. If you go four chargers with the highest, you know, the highest infrastructure to get the hot, the quickest charge, you know, you're looking at a, a million dollars per project. A lot of our folks in our yeah. industry, even Casey's, right? That's a hard ROI to to stomach. And so, you know, I think you have to be careful. You might have the location, but does it really, really, really make sense? to mm-hmm. invest that capital today. And the other thing is you don't want to disrupt your current business because liquid fuels are still growing. They're still core to our business. In-store traffic still core to our business. And so you don't want to get too disruptive to turn off those other guests that you're going to still have to rely on them some, for a long time, right, to be, to be the core of, uh, of, your, of your revenue. So uh, being, being able to balance, I think, is going to be really, really important. Yeah, d- despite the obituary that some are writing, I think uh, – Motor fuels, fossil fuels are going to be around still for quite a few years. So, yeah, absolutely. I think the one, I think the biggest thing as we think about the electric vehicle evolution has come so fast and it has come guns a blazing. Mm-hmm. The challenge is until we have, you know, adoption rates where we see, you know, registrations across the U.S., you know, hit some sort of inflection point. You know, north of where it's at today, I don't know if that's 10%, 15%, 20% of total cars on the road are EVs. We don't know what their their repercussions are to supply chains. We don't know what the repercussions will be for natural resources. We we just don't know, right? And so it feels really good that we're moving really fast. Well, until we see scale and see that impact to you know, to local operators, to um, to the roadways, to infrastructure. I don't, we don't really know what that's going to do. And so as that plays out, to your point, we're still really, really, really reliant on the liquid fuel space. And yeah. I think being really close to ethanol, biodiesel, some of those fuels will be really, really important as we, as we kind of navigate through this just shifting um, in energy. How, how does Casey's price electricity uh, EV charging to the consumer, and are, and are the prices posted, or will they be? So it varies. So you know, we have a multitude of of areas where it's everything from it might be free uh, to the consumers. Um, some of the locations, you know, our Tesla partnership, you know, they they operate that location. You know, they manage their their pricing through their means, and so. That that that's a good question because I think that's one of the questions that we're all trying to figure out is yeah. we've been able to price fuel and evolve the how we price fuel for a long time, but this is a new space for a lot of us, and uh, we're trying to figure out what is the input cost for for electricity. Right, you have your base cost, you have fees, you have demand charges. Those are all net new ways for us to look at how we build out our cost structure to then figure out how in the world do we price it to the consumer. And so that's definitely an evolution for us. I would say at the end of the day, no good answer on how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can just say that you can count on it's going to look a lot different six months from now, a year from now, two years from now as we get better at understanding the input cost. 